jumped the gun there, um, but I'm just really excited to be with all of you and to open up God's Word. Um, but yeah, just have really treasured our worship in this new space. I don't know if you were with us uh, back in 2020. We actually had some gatherings here as we were moving out of intense quarantine, and there was something exciting about regathering after being separated for a long time, but there also was something sad about it. We were socially distanced, everyone had masks on, and it just, it felt like we were together, but we weren't together. But this start of the year and worshiping in this new space has been, it's been rich. It's been fun. And of course, we had to kick it off with all the kids with us the last two Sundays. That was, that was a lot of fun, right? But, you know, this new year, it's been it's been disappointing a little bit. I don't know about you, but I'm tired and a little disappointed. Omicron has swept through all of our households and our communities. And the first time I heard Omicron, I thought it was some kind of sci-fi movie. It's just such a bizarre name. But it's been, it's been hard. But there has been a provision in this space that God is giving us to bring us together more. There's just something about this space that is, is more family. We move to one service. We can hear each other singing. We can look across and see one another. And we got to take these moments when we get them. And so I am, I've really enjoyed singing with you, praying with you, and listening and hearing God's word as we've gathered for worship here. We're starting a sermon series on life together. In our mission statement, uh, says that we exist to cultivate life in Christ, life together, and life on mission. We are giving ourselves to the cultivation of life together. This is something that we feel called to do and are committed to do it. There's two words that I would draw your attention to in our mission statement, cultivation and life. We believe that the life of discipleship is an all-of-life thing that we're trying to orient all of our lives, not just a Sunday morning, not just a group meeting, but all of life around the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's also this word cultivation, right? It has this idea of of getting on your hands and knees in the dirt and digging and tilling the soil and planting and nurturing a plant. It's hard work. You sweat. Now, Each category, there is a gospel truth, right? Life in Christ is this reality that we have a new identity. We are sons and daughters of God because we have trusted in the finished work of Jesus. That's not what we're cultivating. There's a gospel truth in life together. Jesus has saved us to a new community. We're brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. God is our father. We're not cultivating that. That's been established by Jesus. But we're cultivating the spiritual experience of these things. We're cultivating the experience of our sonship, of our daughtership. We're cultivating the experience of deep, rich community that Jesus has created, but we are called and invited to cultivate for ourselves and for others. All of the life of discipleship, spiritual formation, its ultimate goal is that it would be given to others as we create it and establish it in our own lives and then give it to others. 
Another thought is just to recognize we, we believe at Mosaic that cultivating life together is not limited to our gospel communities, our small groups here at Mosaic, but that it's something that can be cultivated in other spaces, like men's and women's Bible study, a Kyle mentioned. You should check that out. It's a great space. Max and Antonia have done a fantastic job developing that space, and it's a great opportunity to connect with people and to try and cultivate life together. But as we kick off this series, what I am really hoping to do and striving to do is to ask the question, what does it look like to cultivate life together? How do we do it? What is life together? And specifically, what does it look like in the context of a small group? How can we engage and give ourselves to this work of cultivation? Some of you have discovered real, deep, rich life together at Mosaic. We've seen some really vibrant communities emerge at Mosaic. We've seen some groups establish really strong relational ties in their neighborhoods and then directed that relational environment to bless and serve their neighbors and to love the people that are living around them. We've seen some groups build really strong relational ties that withstand seasons of hardship, to open up their homes to brothers and sisters that are hurting and going through a hard season. They've gotten on the phone at, late at night. They've sent text messages. They've brought meals. We've seen a lot of vibrant communities emerge. When, when COVID hit, our leaders just adapted and thought so creatively and innovatively. And we started seeing backyard hangouts. And one group had front yard worship services. It was awesome. And it's been awesome to be on, have a front row seat to seeing some of these communities emerge and thrive. But for some of you, it's been hard. You haven't been able to connect. You haven't been able to join a group. Groups have been hard. And groups are always hard. But then you add in a global pandemic. And we don't want to forget Mosaic's story. We were a ginormous church plant with a lot of little kids that moved quickly into a global pandemic. It's been hard. But amidst all the challenge, I want to tell you, we have seen men and women that are faithful in cultivating life together. We have a group, a team of leaders that have demonstrated so much faithfulness, resiliency, and creativity. And I just, as we kick off this series, I want to honor those leaders. And so if you've led a gospel community in the last two years, I, I would love for you to stand up just so we can recognize and honor you. What do we got? Yeah, come on, Santa. Thank you. You guys can sit down. But it's, it's been tough leading a gospel community. It's, it's been hard to connect for some. And I want you to hear this as we kick off this series. Groups have been challenging, but we are committed we are committed to doing whatever it takes 
to develop groups at Mosaic to be a meaningful contribution to cultivating life together. And last semester, we went through this whole process of evaluation. We talked to church leaders, all types of church leaders at small churches, large churches, churches in our region, churches in other places, to learn, to ask questions. We've had focus groups. We've sent out surveys. We've done tons of work to get to this place. And I'm confident that we have a really good plan for a path forward. And I'm hopeful and expectant. And this series, our hope is, every January we, we look at our mission and vision. And this year we're looking specifically at life together because we want to improve and develop our life together always, but specifically as it relates to groups. And so for the next three weeks, I'm going to look to the Bible. We're going to look to the Bible and really ask the question, why is life together worth fighting for? Why, why should we give ourselves to this hard work of getting in the dirt and, and digging and tilling the soil? And what does God desire for our life together? And then at the end of the series, we're going to introduce and launch another type of group at Mosaic called D-Groups. We'll continue to have gospel communities, and we'll also have this other group called D-Groups. And as we move through the series, you'll hear more about this particular uh, group. Let's look to the Bible. If you have a Bible, uh, turn with me to Acts 2. We're going to be in Acts 2, verses, I'm going to read verse 42 and 47, and we'll spend most of my time uh, preaching from verse 42, uh, but I want to I really just sit in this passage with you. And at the end of reading this passage, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and I'll invite you to respond, thanks be to God. And this is a way every week at Mosaic that we respond and confirm together that God has not left us in silence, that he's given us his word as light and life. Acts 2, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let, let me pray over our time together. Father, we, we, do, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not left us in silence, that you have given us the revelation of your word so that we can know you deeper, that we can learn how to live for you greater. I pray that you would help us send more and more of your Holy Spirit to fill this room freshly as we consider what you want for our lives as we consider what it looks like to cultivate life together, would you refresh our hearts with your provision in Jesus and teach us, Father? And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So a few comments about this particular passage. 
This is a, a summary passage. Luke is drawing from different stories that he has, and he's summarizing, this is what life was like in the early church. It's kind of like the highlight reel. And it comes on the heels of this really intense moment in the life of the church, in the life of this new covenant, um, the emergence of the church. Acts 2 starts with this, this Pentecost event where Jews from all other nations were gathered to celebrate Pentecost and to worship together. And they were coming from different nations. And we learn that the Spirit comes down on the apostles and they begin teaching and preaching in the language of different nations. And Jews who were there were from distant land and they, they were astonished, saying, why, why are these Galilean men speaking in my language? And what are they saying? And they, they were curious, this, this must be some kind of divine thing that is happening. But then there were others who got up and said, no, these yahoos are just drunk. They've just been tipping it a little too heavy. And Peter stands up and says, no, they're not drunk. God is doing something here. And he preaches a sermon on the significance of Jesus and the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And many come to faith in Jesus. And right after that, we get this summary passage. But what does this passage teach us about life together? I think before we answer that question, we, we have to put on the table just this reality. Everybody wants life together. All of us do. We read a passage like this and we say, oh, I would love to be a part of a community like that. I want to belong to a, a community like that. I want to be known. I want to have the opportunity to serve my brothers and sisters. Bonhoeffer says in his classic work, Life Together, believers feel no shame when they yearn for the physical presence of other Christians. And so there's this good, holy desire that we have. But there's a trap. There's a trap when we begin to think and function as though life together is a box to be checked, is a transaction to be performed, is a group to be joined. I put in this to get that. And what's missed in this trap is the work of cultivation. Because the work of cultivation is a lifestyle. Life together is a way of life, not a transaction. It's a lifestyle of devotion. You see this in verse 42. The, the first thing that is said of the early church is they devoted themselves. They, they gave themselves. They committed themselves to God and his people. There was a, a focus, a commitment, a perseverance, a long suffering to God and his people. And I'm sure they had concerns, right? They had to. They, they would probably had questions, really good questions. They had fears. But amidst all that, they devoted themselves. And this is what we need in the work of cultivation. A transactional mentality expects and sometimes demands life together and the way it should look. A transactional mentality says, I give this, therefore I get that. And there is this expectation heaped on other people 
and you can feel it. A lifestyle of devotion creates sensitivity and openness to respond in love and generosity even when it's inconvenient. Sensitivity and openness. A lifestyle of devotion says, I give and I'm here. And we see this at Mosaic. I mean, let's, let's just name people. We see this in people, families, leaders. Kyle and Allie Johnson and Alliston Baxter, they, every time I talk to them about their group, there is an openness and a sensitivity. I give and I'm here. Chris and Rachel Norcross, this is their reputation at Mosaic Church. And we want to call this out and draw attention to it because we want to keep cultivating that. We want to cultivate that so we can give it to others, but we also want to cultivate that in our own hearts and to root out any, any, any shred of a transactional mentality. We need this to participate in the work of cultivation. This lifestyle of devotion It's directed to two things, is what we see in verse 42. It's a lifestyle of devotion, but it's a lifestyle of devotion to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. The apostles' teaching, this was the teaching of the early church leaders known as the apostles. That literally meant messengers. These were men who were eyewitnesses to the ministry of Jesus. They saw miracles performed. They sat under his teaching they, they engaged with him in, in private conversations. And as Jesus ascends, the source of truth and authority was given to the apostles. And these early Christians who had responded in repentance and baptism, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why? Why did they do such a thing? Because they understood they needed to be taught. They were, they were receiving this wonderful, miraculous gift of grace. That Jesus would offer his life freely for people who had rejected God, for sinners. And that by repentance and faith and baptism, they could receive forgiveness from God. Reconciliation. And they knew This gift is so great, I need to be taught more about it. And there was a desire, a yearning to learn more about Jesus, to learn more about what was happening to them. And they wanted to learn how they could live for him, how they could orient their lives around the gospel. And with everything going on around this young church, I mean, they were very much similar to Mosaic. It was a big inflow of people, and they're just trying to figure out, how do we do this? How do we live for God in our moment? With everything going on around Mosaic Church, the apostles' teaching, the word of God, functions as a sense of center for our community. And this is true at Mosaic, and this will always be true at Mosaic. That the Bible, the very word of God, is our sense of center. And we orient all of our lives and all of our life together around 
the teachings of Scripture. Because Scripture has a lot to say about life together. The Apostle Peter, when he's instructing the church on how to live as a holy community, a community that's distinct, he says, so put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. The Apostle John reminds the church of this new commandment given by Jesus. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. The Apostle Paul stresses unity through humility. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Peter roots out what, what separates us, what divides us. He says, don't remove that from your life. Remove that from your community. John encourages and reminds us, love one another, move towards one another. And Paul helps maintain, stay unified by considering other interests, by holding other people above your own needs and your own interests. And what we find is it's the devotion to the word of God that drives us back and back to our brothers and sisters. What directs our life together is the very word of God. And we see that a devotion to the apostles' teaching really drove and shaped and influenced these early Christians' devotion to the fellowship. And there are two practices at the end, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. This is really a subset of their devotion to the fellowship. It was a way that they expressed and lived out their devotion to the fellowship. And there's a, a lot of debate on what breaking of bread is referring to, whether it's the communion meal or a meal in, a, in homes with other believers. And probably best, just to think of it as a both and. To think that what basically, what we're seeing in the early church in Acts 2 is that a devotion to one another is the practices of worshiping together, eating together, and praying together. <laughs> Pretty simple, right? Like, we, we don't need to complicate this. Worshiping, eating, and praying. Like, let's do it. This is why we create groups, is to create an opportunity for God's people to worship together, pray together, and eat together. And to do that consistently and with intentionality. Maybe, I mean, like, Maybe it just looks like grabbing a few guys at Mosaic and setting up breakfast at the house cafe. I mean, it's great if you've never been to the house cafe. You show up consistently, intentionally to bless and love and encourage and pray for one another. Maybe it looks like starting a group text with some other women in the church with intentionally to pray for one another via text, to encourage one another via text. And what began to emerge in the early church is a radical generosity. 
as the church devoted themselves to one another and as we devote ourselves to one another, like we, we could just look around here. That's what we're talking about is all of us in this room devoting ourselves to one another by worshiping together, praying together, and eating together. And when that happens, there is this beautiful, radical generosity that emerges. Verse 44 says this, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had a need. They were, they were t- connected on a personal lever. They knew each other's lives. And there was a unity that was marked by love and compassion. It was this radical value placed on people over possessions, on people over money, on people over time. I mean, we can extrapolate this out and just say, what we see in this generosity is the prioritization of people over everything else, every other commodity we have in life, our schedules, our time, our money, our possessions, our spiritual energy and emotional energy. It's given to our brothers and sisters. Back in the Greco-Roman world, people knew about these generous friendships, just very much like we do in our society. That giving to a friend is is a good thing. But in Greco-Roman world, there was always this expectation of reciprocity. This giving back. And what makes this unique in its day is that it appears to be generosity with no expectation of return. And it resembles more of a family type of interaction than a friend. And this is what makes our generosity distinctly Christian. It's freely given and it's given with no expectation of return because this is the generosity that we've experienced in the gospel. We have been given a gift. Jesus has died for sinners and invited them to respond in repentance and faith. It's not transactional. It's an act of devotion to those in need. It's frequent and often and freely given. It's not out of obligation. When a need emerges, people people flock this need, this person, this household. And we have seen this at Mosaic, right? You've seen this. When, we, when that big storm hit and people were, pipes were freezing, we were losing power, and members were opening up their homes. Hey, if you need a place to stay, come, stay with us. We've seen people rally around families with sick kids, with long-suffering, meal trains, Oh, man, how many meal trains have we seen at Mosaic? Oh, man. When I was in the interview process, uh, that was one thing that they told me. They were like, hey, listen, we do meal trains really well. And I was like, okay, yeah. like." And we didn't, our son who was born here uh, was born March 12, 2020. So like the day the pandemic happened. And we didn't do a meal train, but people still showed up with food on our doorstep. And I was like, okay, Mosaic. All right, I I get what you're saying. And we want to do that more. 
we want to really celebrate that and see that as a spiritual discipline. It is the hard work of cultivation because what are we doing when we bring a meal to someone who's just had a child or someone who's just had a surgery? We're saying, hey, you're not forgotten. Hey, we see you. We love you. And we want you to be a part of what's happening at Mosaic Church. We want to continue as our church grows, as families grow, as people move away or move to the church and new people grow, dynamics change. We want to see life together, our shared relational life as a church. We want to see it strengthened and deepened. Because everyone wants life together. Everybody wants it. And, and we want to guard ourselves against the trap. We want to honor the good desire we have by cultivating a lifestyle, a lifestyle of devotion to the word of God and to one another by faith. Because life, life together starts with one disciple. It's all it takes. One disciple at the feet of Jesus, eager to learn, eager to get their hands dirty, because they know the significance of life together and they want to create it for others. Now, two things as we close. A pastoral encouragement and then a challenge. For some of you, you've not experienced life together at Mosaic. Maybe you're new, you've been here for a few months or you've been here for a few years and you would say, I just feel disconnected. I don't feel like I belong. I have this conversation continually at Mosaic. And what if, if that's you, this process starts with grief. You can't give yourself to the work of cultivation until you grieve the loss of not having people in your life, not having a community when you needed it the most. If there was ever a time to have people in your corner, people supporting you, a community around you. It was the last two years, right? Holy smokes. It was tough. And if you did that alone, and you're having this desire to cultivate life together, and you don't give yourself time to grieve, you're going to be trying to cultivate it, carrying the disappointment and pain and hurt. And you're going to be fighting for your life. Sadness is honoring what was lost. And the gift of sadness is acceptance. And so I, I want to just tell you, if, if you feel disconnected and have had a hard time, you, couldn't, you weren't able to join a group or uh, you just have not really connected with the people in your group, maybe you've been around for a while or maybe you've, you're new, is just to grieve the loss. Maybe, maybe you're even coming from another church and you just had a bad experience to grieve, to be sad. It's okay to be sad because part of that, all of that is going to allow you acceptance and healing so then you can get on with the work of cultivation and you can be driven to other peoples. We, we don't want to leave anyone behind. And what can happen is you can get stuck in this place of feeling disconnected, feeling like you don't belong, and everyone else, it looks like, they look connected. 
They look like they belong. And we don't want to leave anyone behind. And so if that's you, I would invite you to come, come talk to me. Come talk to our staff. Come talk to another pastor. Because we've embarked on a journey together. And I am not the expert. <laughs> Let's just get that straight. I am not an expert. I am a fellow traveler. But I'm committed. I'm committed to cultivating life together at Mosaic. I'm committed to developing groups to be a meaningful space for cultivating life together. And so wherever you're at, I was meeting with a member the other day, and they said, you know, we came to church on Sunday, and, like, I hardly recognize anyone. There is a, there, there's, a, there's a demographic, there is a landscape at Mosaic right now that's different than it was two years ago. We have people from the old days. We have people who joined during the pandemic, which is just, that, that's got to be odd for you. <laughs> it was odd for us. But then we also have new people coming. And, and so let's just make a mutual commitment to just, let, let's just treat everyone the same. Let's, let's, let's move towards people we don't know. Maybe there's a way to say that. Participate in life, in mosaic, intentionally. And thinking and considering one another and one another's stories. Prayerfully consider committing to a few. The work of cultivation is about pursuit. Pursuing a few to cultivate this vibrant, rich life together. Because life together is worth fighting for. And my hope as we move through this series is that we as a church will, will get to reset on our commitment to life together. And remember why, why it is we're in the situation we're in. Why, why are we fighting for this? Why are we trying to develop this? Because life together has been a gift given to us by God. And we want to cultivate it. We want to build and develop groups and all that we do at Mosaic to be meaningfully meaningful contributors to life together. Because we all want it. And it's worth fighting for. Let me pray for us. Father, you are you're good to us. And we sang about that, your goodness. And we affirm that as true. And I just pray that as we consider Acts 2, as we think about our involvement in the life of Mosaic, as we think about our lives, like, I pray that you would bless us with a real spiritual experience of your goodness, that we would taste and see that you are good and experience that and feel it in our bones. I pray, God, that you would Give us favor as we give ourselves to the cultivation of life together. I pray that you would convict us of places that we are harboring resentment or our um, pain or hurt or malice or envy. We want to root that out. And I just pray that you would purify and sanctify us to be a people that are walking in love, in humility, and striving for that unity because we know this glorifies you. And we love you, Father. We want to serve you, and we need your help. And so we pray that you would bless us with the power of the Spirit and continue to refresh our hearts with the person and work of Jesus. We love you, and we trust you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name.
Amen.